Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I am your host. And today I have the inimitable Dr. Fred Moss on the show. So do me a favor and go ahead and share this out so we can have as many people as possible hear Dr. Fred's wisdom. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And we are back. Let me bring Dr. Fred on. Dr. Fred, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on today, Ken. I really appreciate it. I'm grateful you could make it. I really am. And we'll talk about why we're probably both very grateful, especially you, that you could be here. So, um, you know, I've done this for, it'll be five years at the end of this month that I've done this show. And it, it originally started to help people get unstuck in life. In fact, we were just talking about how lost we would be without our wives. Right. I told my wife I was going to do this show five years ago. She said, what are you going to call it? And I said, I don't know, getting unstuck. And she goes, why wouldn't you use your last name and call it Breakthrough Walls? So here we are. Like I said, I'd be lost. I'd yeah. be lost. So... Fred, you, you, um, I'd love for you to just start out by telling everybody where you were born and raised, where it all started right. for you. Yeah, it started uh, about 65 years ago in Detroit, Michigan. Um, I was born in Detroit and I was born to a family that was in a fair amount of, as I understand it anyways, a fair amount of chaos and disarray. Mm-hmm. I had two older brothers, um, 10 and 14 years my senior and they were already angry teenagers, and they were there with my parents, who were too young to be parents of two young kids like that. They were difficult times, um, you know, in the world, I guess. And my purpose was to bring some degree of joy and communication and reset to a family in that level of chaos. Yeah. So that's what happened, you know. And that's I I hit the ground running. I I almost remember punching the punch card, you know, uh, on the way out of the womb, you know, almost like. Uh, like uh, just hitting it and getting started, bringing joy to a family. And that's what they counted on me for early on was to, they almost would wheel me out as the joy machine. You know, I was the one who was supposed to bring um, happiness um, or laughter or, you know, the wow, some degree of wowism to yeah. uh, family settings. So, wow. yeah, yeah, that's how I knew myself. And that's how I, you know, grew up as being. And that's really established a lot of who I've been my whole life in real in real time. So when you say chaos, are you talking about like dysfunctional chaos? I think there may have been some dysfunctional chaos going on. You know, I don't I wasn't I was a little bit too young to. You know, to actually do a functional assessment of what the level of chaos was. Right. But the way my brothers have described it to me. Things were pretty out of control. Got it. Got yeah. it. So you, you were, you were raised your entire, like all, th- all through school in, in Detroit. Right. I went through, um, I stayed in, in Northwest Detroit uh, in the suburbs. Okay. Uh, I was in Oak Park for a while and then I was in Southfield and graduated in Southfield, which is just a little bit Northwest Detroit. Yeah. And I stayed there, um, until, uh, until college. Yeah. Where I went, you know, because I liked the helmets more than anything else. I went, 40 miles west to um, Ann Arbor and started school there. Okay. Well, I'm from Ohio, so we're natural born enemies, I think. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I also, you know, I, I raised my children in Cincinnati, so I'm very familiar with uh, Ohio oh, as well. And got my, it. Daughter, my daughter's a Buckeye. And my, my daughter's a Buckeye graduate. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love your daughter then. She's amazing. Well, she is amazing <laughs> because she was told ever since she was born that she could go to any college she wanted except Ohio State. And of course, that's what she got to 
<laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like my daughters do the yeah. exact opposite of what they're told. That's right. So, so you, you, um, and by the way, I get this is totally off subject, but I was in Detroit a couple years ago, my very first time ever. And I'd always heard that Detroit was the downtown was just this dirty, awful area. It's, it's not, not anymore. All. It's no, gorgeous. No. It's, it's flat out gorgeous. It's, it is. It's a, uh, it's a near tourist trap at this point. It's, it, it's flat out beautiful. And you, the river, they have restaurants yeah. right there on the river. It's, it is absolutely gorgeous. Up there. Really. They have done a lot since their bankruptcy. Yeah. They have really done a lot and yeah. really recreating, regentrifying and realivening that city. Yeah. Um, I was in Southfield as a matter of fact, isn't that where eight mile is? Well, eight mile and, yeah, eight, Southfield starts north of Eight Mile Road. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I was there. I was there yeah. visiting a client in Southfield. Yes, that's right. So so you um, you were born and raised there. You you went to Ohio. I mean Michigan. <laughs> I went to Michigan. I didn't graduate at Michigan. I, oh. I grad, eventually graduated in Wayne State, which is the downtown Detroit um, school. Okay, so you yeah. is, and you're talking undergrad. Right. Right. What was your undergrad in? Oh, I think I, my undergrad was in, you know, survival. My, I think my actual degree was um, uh, bio, a BS in biology at, out of Wayne State. You got it. Okay. Yeah, so, I, had dropped out of, I dropped out of Michigan a couple times, two separate times. So wow. um, coming back and living, you know, really trying to get settled with my parents and getting my first job in mental health. All of that took place um, and then going back to school a third time for this time with an actual purpose was why I went to Wayne and, and then graduated Wayne with a BS in biology. Got it. So and then you got into you got you got into the workforce after that. Well, <laughs> I was in the workforce um, quite a bit before that. Um, I was in the workforce while I was going while I was finishing up at Wayne. So I was doing, you know, uh, half to half to full time, 12 hours or so at Wayne while I was um, while I was a mental health worker. I was a child care worker down the road in Pontiac, Michigan. Wow. And uh, I had that job because, uh, you know, my mom, the second time I dropped out, I told her I would never go back to college again. And she said that that was fine as long as I got a job, you know. And so the job she got me was civil service job in um Pontiac, Michigan at the Fairlawn Center, where I then became a child care worker. And frankly, Ken, I would say that I'm still almost a, a glorified child care worker 43, wow. 44 years later. Wow. How long did you stay in Michigan, like, after all that? Or so I was in Michigan. Um, I got my job at Fairlawn in 1980. I graduated in Wayne State in 1984, 83. And then I applied to medical school and eventually got to medical school. Um, uh, I, I got accepted at medical school in Chicago, downtown Chicago at, at Northwestern University. Wow. And I started there in 1984. So wow. I guess in 1984 is when I really moved out of Michigan for good and um, spent the next five years in downtown Michigan, um, downtown uh, Chicago. And that, you know, it turns out to be the same first five years of one Michael Jordan as well. So I spent a lot of times in in Chicago Stadium. I've been a big NBA fan my whole life. And it was a real thrill to watch, um, you know, watch Michael grow uh, during those first five years and watch the Bulls yeah. become the Bulls. And, you know, I worked uh, I was all over Chicago. I along with being a med student, I really learned most of what I knew about humanitarianism or communication from the streets of Chicago as much as anything else, even more so than the um, classrooms of Northwestern University Medical School. So uh, I'm curious what caused you to decide that you were gonna go from being a social worker basically um, into medicine? Yeah. Well, the thing was that while I was while I was at Fairlawn Center, I really learned that that communication and connection were at the heart of all healing. I really didn't know that. I began to really believe and learn day to day that I actually loved the job. These kids who are six or seven years younger than me 
all they really needed was to be respected for who they were. And there would be healing that would take place. And the healing would be in more than one direction, them to me, me to them. And um, so I really loved the job. But the thing I hated about the job actually more than anything else was the psychiatric component of it. I really couldn't stand the way psychiatry was managing those kids. Yeah. My brother, 14 years older than me, was already a psychiatrist. Not a, not, he's a wasn't a very conventional psychiatrist, but he was a psychiatrist and I knew their field existed. So I made it my business to go back a third time so that I could actually go to medicine and become a psychiatrist and re-invoke and re, you know, re-inject communication and connection as the source of all healing. Uh, because back when it was in the, you know, in the state hospital, if Tony was up too late or Jimmy and Johnny had gotten in a fight, we would call the psychiatrist and he would come down from his call room, maybe interview the child for like three seconds or interview us for seven seconds and then write something um, in the um, chart. And then we'd have to go retrieve the child and hold him down and fill him up, you know, fill his hip up with an injectable cocktail of some very high grade, you know, adult, uh, adult grade psychiatric medicine and send them into a stupor, you know, and um, wow. that was what we would call a success. Now, the truth is, you know, you, you, you raise your eyebrows as I say that, but what's <laughs> very unfortunate about that is that that shit's still going on at exactly the same rate it was going on then in all the state hospitals all over the country and in many of the private hospitals as well. There's a lot of, you know, chemical restraint and physical restraint going on in these hospitals. And though we call those places safe, but in reality, it's hard to know that why anyone would think those places are safe. Wow. That's, um, wow. I'll reserve my opinion. Um, I have one. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's rather strong. Yeah. Um, so, so, so you did this now, did you, did you end up graduating with a degree in medicine? I did. I did. I went to medical school and then uh, got my medical degree in 1988 and then went into a psychiatry and in fact went into child and adolescent psychiatry for the students, you know, just on the heels of what I just said. My, yeah. I was, you know, single focus. Um, wow. And uh, so when I graduated, when I actually got my degree, or my, finished my fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry, I was ready to go. But, you know, in the interim, one of the things that happened was that the introduction of a drug that we all know of took place while I was in the middle of my training. And it changed everything in the whole world of psychiatry and mental health. It, it shifted the paradigm as drastically as anything recently has been shifting the paradigm. And that was the drug called Prozac. So I when Prozac, gonna say that. Yep, when Prozac was introduced, um, it altered the way we look at all psychiatric illness and all psychiatric conditions. And we began to really believe that if we were uncomfortable, there was something wrong with us. And that that's, that wasn't always the case over the you know decades of centuries um, of time that preceding 1987. But we actually bought into the idea that if we were feeling bad, that was our problem. If we were scared, if we were depressed, if we were anxious, if we were confused, if we were aimless, if we were insomniac, if we were um, scattered, if we were any of those things, you know, um, any of the feelings that we now know of as seemingly psychiatric, yeah. there was a notion that this was a biological imbalance and that I was never really aligned with the whole idea. I really, as I told you already, you know, went in because I really felt communication and connection were at the heart of all healing. And so the idea that being uncomfortable meant there was something wrong with you did not align very well with me. <clears throat> Nevertheless, when I got released uh, after the fellowship, um, you know, the job I had had now been typecast to being a psychopharmacologist. And so, you know, over time, over those next several decades, I became an extraordinary psychopharmacologist, as, as all my peers did. Uh, learning everything I could about all the drugs that supposedly were helping people. And with every prescription I wrote, Ken, there was a little bit of heartbreak. And we, we'll talk a little bit more about heartbreak, I think, by the end of this show. 
I, 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 yeah, because I want to unpack that just a little bit. You know, once in a while, and I don't know why YouTube has a, a, a tendency to show videos to me that are like, like, you know, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Maybe they know that. And so they, they show these arrests of people um, under the influence of alcohol. And, and I remember recently seeing this one. This guy was absolutely not intoxicated, but was out of his mind. And the cops are trying to, you know, like he was talking and weird. And I thought, what in the world? How do you get through to somebody that literally is, I mean, he was literally out of his mind. They couldn't get him into the police car. He was, it was insane. And, and I, I, I'm sitting there watching this going, how do you, how do you get through to somebody like that? You, you, you know, do you just drug them and, and, and let them, you know, eventually die? Cause that's, what's going to happen. Right. Right. So it, it, it bothers me to see stuff like that when I think that there's probably some sort of a, this is my opinion, spiritual solution, maybe somewhere along the, the way. Um, but so, so you were, you were, you said, how did you put it? Pharma, a pharmacologist? Yeah. A psychopharmacologist. Psychopharmacologist. What's yeah. the difference for the audience? What's the difference between a psychotherapist, a psychologist, and a psychiatrist. I think everyone uses the exact same uh, cutting edge on that one. The definition that's well known in the community is that a psychiatrist is the one who prescribes medicine. Okay. The truth is, you know, the other two, they don't prescribe medicine, but somehow we're supposed to have the inside track on which medicine to prescribe for any particular condition that we can use to sort of write the bio, you know, rebalance a biological imbalance. The truth is um, that we don't have any, you know, we don't have any special access to that. Wow. Uh, we do it over and over again. But the truth is, again, these medicines, they don't do what they're what they're um, marketed to do. And in many cases, these medicines actually cause or perpetuate or at least um, uh, contribute directly to the symptoms that they're marketed to treat. Um, wow. So, when you start looking at that, it's a pretty cool model. I mean, it's a pretty cool business model. If you can actually have, to, you know, if you can have a product that actually creates or perpetuates or, or increases the symptoms it's marketed to treat, then that's a pretty cool model down the road. Well, for the person that created the, the product. <laughs> for nearly everyone. For nearly everyone, actually. You know, it works for everyone. And if you see, wow. it even works for the client. Uh, the client, you know, for whatever reason, the client has agreed to take on the idea that they're, that they're afflicted or, or wrong or diseased or, you know, and look for your audience here who, um, who might have a differing view on this. Uh, whoever's just wrote that um, not feeling heard regularly can kill anyone. It's exactly my point completely. And um, I really appreciate that. Believe in yourself. Thank you. The, the point here is that um, if you, you know, the, these medicines, these medicines and these diagnoses, they are, they, the impact that they have on people is that they have us feeling less than, or they have us feeling like, uh, you know, there's something wrong with us when in fact there might never have been anything wrong, even when we felt horrible. Like this guy who's talking out of his head in your story, um, I'm quite sure there's something in his system that, you know, maybe it's not alcohol, but it could be something else. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Josie says, I think doctors, kill. we're probably going to cover that Josie. So, yeah. so, and I, I don't, I, I, so you, you already know, I agree with Josie. Um, I think that you um, probably do too at this point, oh, but yeah, for sure. Um, so, so here you are, how old were you when you, when you were the, the, uh, booming psychopharmacologist? Yeah. Coming out of medical school, I was, um, I graduated in 88. So I was, I was 30 then. Okay. And, okay. um, you know, and then, uh, starting my practice in, I was already in Cincinnati, Ohio and, um, so my practice, I became one of the larger uh, psychiatric practices in Cincinnati, one of the top two or three 
psychiatric practices. And I wrote over 100,000 prescriptions over the next 30 years. Now, each and every one of those prescriptions um, ripped at my heart. Every one of them, you know, every one of them was a soul sacrifice. I knew that I was pretending to um, do what was, you know, what was being asked of me in that well, I was being, I was doing what was being asked of me, but I was pretending that it was the best choice. And I knew better. I knew that what people really need more than anything without question. And that's all of us. That includes you. That includes Josie. It includes anyone else who's watching or listening at this point. What we need more than anything is to be heard and to be understood for who we are. And it's amazing what level of cure of actual cure or connection or true healing takes place once we experience being heard, heard and realized for who we are, you know, that's where the real action is inside of psychiatry. And that's, and, you know, Sigmund Freud may have had an inside track on that at some level. Um, but the field has gone through so many changes and not that Freud was all right. I'm not saying that, right. But I am saying that he knew that people really did respond to getting known and to coming to grips with who they really are. Yeah. Yeah. Being heard, being heard. I, 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 there's a funny meme. I forget. I'm, I'm going to paraphrase, but some kind of meme that says, um, before you, you're, you diagnose yourself as depressed or, um, suffering from insecurity, be sure that you're not surrounded by a bunch of assholes first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. People who won't listen to you or, or exactly. communicate. So, so, <clears throat> You know, so here you are. Wow, you wrote over a hundred thousand prescriptions. That's mind boggling to me. Um, and and so you you had your practice in Cincinnati for how long? Yeah, I had my practice in Cincinnati for approximately 20 years. Tw- okay, and then 20. I started practicing as a locum tenens all over the country uh, <clears throat> as a traveling doctor. And so I didn't really slow down. I just it's kind of when I closed down my practice in Cincinnati, I had different higher ideas of how I could better serve the public and being a chief communicator. But it then still had me traveling around the country, um, filling in spots when doctors were needed and learning a lot about how psychiatry was done all else over the country. And in fact, in other parts of the world as well. And telepsychiatry had just become a thing uh, like in 2010, 2011. And I was on a cutting edge of that. You know, these days it's not it's not even a question. Almost all psychiatry is done telepsychiatrically now. Um, but back in the day, that was really a front edge deal. And the idea was that if you could connect with someone online, you, you could make a real difference with someone just by uh, getting them. And what you know, that's our point. I think with this conversation is that people want to be gotten more than anything else. Yeah, that yeah. goes for the healers as well. You know, um, everyone just wants to be heard. And that's what that's why the boom of pot. That's why your show is doing so well. You're obviously a great interviewer. You know what people want more than anything is to be heard. And then people want to listen to people being heard. And the reason that, the, you know, these people are already tuned into who you are and you know what the conversation we're having is because that's the most important thing to people. And, you know, if we really stop and take a look, the most important thing in our life is to be heard for who we are. And, you know, they became less and less a part of psychiatry to have to be able to say that over time, Um, especially psychiatry of all the mental health fields. If, you know, psychiatry is where you went after listening didn't work. Right. Like, you know, some therapist somewhere or some psychologist would decide that they've done all they can do. They've done all the therapy. They've, you know, they've ran the gamut on whatever their resources are and it doesn't work. So there must be something, you know, wrong fundamentally. And then they dump them on the front door of a psychiatric office. And then our job is to somehow find some cocktail regimen to turn the thing inside out. And that isn't really how it works, Ken, at all. It never has been how it worked. And, but people would count on that. And then psychiatry would end up being, responsible for the patients that they were dropped off, you know, that were dropped off at their door. So like if someone dropped someone off in my, you know, and a referral in my office, 
one of the things that happened is they would come in and they'd probably be, you know, maybe they'd be a little bit out of their, off the rocker, like the man you were talking about. Yeah. And probably that was due to whatever conditions they're being treated for, <laughs> not necessarily to an inherent psychiatric problem. Most people are, have their problem because they've accepted their diagnosis and their treatment perpetuates the symptoms that are marketed to treat. So, Oh my gosh, I have so many things running through my head. Number one, is there such is there such a thing in your opinion or your experience or training, is there such a thing as a chemical imbalance? No. Not as I, a, I knew you were gonna say that. Yeah. How did I know that? Yeah, I think you know, I, I think there are look, there are situations where our chemicals are imbalanced. Like if we eat the wrong stuff or we drink the wrong stuff or we watch the wrong stuff or we listen to the wrong stuff, we certainly know how to become imbalanced. But there's no such thing as an inherent chemical imbalance that causes a mental illness. I want to throw in a caveat, if you don't mind, right yeah. now, which is there might be some listeners here who disagree with me fundamentally about that. Right. I really believe that their child or their mom or themselves or their friend or their spouse has what's a chemical balance, you know, what's known as a chemical imbalance and that they've been properly diagnosed and properly treated having received that diagnosis and that things are going as well as they could possibly hope that they would ever go. This conversation is not for you, is not for them. If that's where you're at, where you have found some peace in the notion that there's a chemical imbalance at the bottom of who you are, who they are, and that the treatment that they're receiving um, on top of the diagnosis that they've been that they've acquired is helping them, then you should continue to do that. It's a it's a really really beautiful place in life to have reached a point where you believe you have, <clears throat> you know, found a <clears throat> excuse me found a purpose or a definition and are treating it wisely. So uh, what I really want to say is, it's not uh, this conversation is not going to align with everybody. Right. Some people who are certain there's such thing as a chemical imbalance and they're going to want to go to the grave swearing to that. Um, that's just not the way I think about it at all. I think I think that, you know, we can be imbalanced, but it isn't the cause of a diagnosis. Um, and, it, and most things can be rebalanced by proper nutrition, um, proper lifestyle changes and really looking at you know, what led to this sense of imbalance in the first place. Does that include, um, again, I know that this is your opinion. Um, does that include people? Um, maybe it was a childhood trauma that caused some imbalance in their thinking or whatever. Um, does, does, does treatment include like, reliving that rehashing that over and over and over until it's until it's resolved well i think there are some therapy <coughs> there are some therapies that would suggest that that's part of an important treatment i don't think that that's necessary at all and i think you know reliving and relearning and re re-experiencing things over and over again until it, this cathartic way of thinking that uh, that you can relive your experience and and thereby incorporate incorporated into your lifestyle um i don't think that that's a an a, an adequate or in fact a proven way of um of uh, moving the needle forward um and i think you know josie who's right on top of this conversation with us i like her question here and of course each and every one of us you're allowed to be depressed Right. And that's the whole point. In fact, if you're looking around the world and you're never depressed, you're missing a lot because there's uh, there's some things out there in your life personally right. and in the world in general that are extremely saddening, extremely yeah. depressing. And there's nothing wrong with you uh, to, to actually experience that depression. I have a funny psychiatrist story, and it's a real story I experienced I used to sell for this bathroom remodeling company and I go to this house to give the guy an estimate and in conversation, he tells me he's a psychiatrist. And I said, okay, great, blah, blah, blah. And so um, I give him the estimate. 
And he goes, all right, give me your best price. I said, that is my best price. And he goes, no, it's not. And I go, yes, it is. He goes, you're lying. And I said, I'm, I don't lie. Don't, I'm not lying. He goes, it's listen, calm down. Everybody lies. We have to. I said, what? And he goes, we have to, if you told yourself the truth about everything going on around you right now, you would go stark raving mad. So you have to lie to yourself. It's okay. Yeah. So give me your best price. <laughs> so, but you know, and, and, and I, what you just said, I don't know something triggered that about like, cause if you're paying attention to everything, you're, I, I think you're bound to experience some depression. If you look at things going on in the world, right? The whole idea that would be any resistance to, to experiencing depression is the problem. This idea that I don't want to feel depressed because then I'll be known as a depressed person. Yes. You know, that's that's what the problem is. The, the, the depression medications are, you know, they're built to actually perpetuate the symptoms they're marketed to treat. Jeez. So when you start looking at that, that's really the function of those medicines is that, you know, you start taking them and they um, they they don't really even decrease the depression. They, oh. in fact, increase the depression. And, and then you think that your depression got worse in the meantime, and then you become glad that you're on medicine because at least you're dealing with it. But in fact, what you don't realize is more frequently than not, the medicines are contributing directly to the symptoms um, that they are designed to, uh, you know, to take on. I've, I've heard, and I don't know that it's true, and I hate bringing this up. I really do. But it's a reality in life. Um, we keep having these incidences occur in, in schools. And I've heard that like 100% of the people causing the harm are on depression medications. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that, tr is that something that you yeah, have heard or, you know, I've heard, I've heard a similar thing. I don't know that it's a hundred percent, but uh, it's no surprise to me. These medications, um, are very, very wicked. And we, we call these side effects, but the truth is it's more than the medicine. We don't want to blame the medicines. It's like blaming rat poison for killing the rats. The truth is you don't have to put the medicine into your mouth and you don't have to go to a doctor to learn there's something wrong with you so that they can give you medicine so that you can take it because your doctor told you to. Wow. That, that you don't have to do that. It's not the only way to proceed. There's a way of really getting the truth of the, you know, confusion and the chaos of all of it. And there is massive, massive um, chaos everywhere. Um, That's my wife on here with us, Fred. Okay, cool. Yeah. I, there's massive chaos in everywhere. And in, if you can just embrace it for what it really is, then, you actually, then we actually have a shot of making steps forward that really matter. You know, what people want more than anything, Ken, I'm just going to keep banging on this, is to be heard for who they really are. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. What I love, Josie says, my my dad always said, you want to be sick? Go see a doctor. He'll find something. <laughs> yeah. You know, you can only go to a barbershop so many times without getting a haircut. So. <laughs> right. Right. So, so you did this for 30 years when the 10 years that you were a traveling um, doctor, you said you traveled around the U.S. Were, it, were you still writing scripts? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's why they would hire me. That's the only reason to hire a psychiatrist. Oh, my God. So, yeah. OK, at some point, Dr. Fred, it sounds to me like the 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 chomping away at your soul every time you wrote. There was there was some point where you had a a spiritual epiphany, a, an awakening of sorts, um, because I know today you're not still writing scripts. Right. So talk about what led up to that, if you if you would. Right. Um, I think, you know, over time, it just got to be too much to bear. Uh, and I think that one of the places where that happened, I I, I have a my resume is quite amazing. It's large and long. And I've worked in almost every single uh, capacity inside of general psychiatry. And the final places that I worked included prison, prisons and jails, and they wanted me to do the same thing. And it just eventually got that 
you know, they don't really care how hard or they don't really care about my relationship with any of the patients so much as they do about which medicines I'm willing to write and that I'm willing to continue that have been written by doctors before me. So this eventually got to be just more than I could bear. And I eventually, uh, you know, I had been looking for a job that could work, a job where I could actually use my psychiatric skills. And in 2000, I'd say around 2016 or 17 is when I really decided that I could no longer do this. Wow. And that's when I decided to start becoming a coach was probably the best idea. And maybe even eventually becoming a coach to help people walk away from their diagnosis. And I, I, um, uh, I obtained a moniker called the undoctor. And as the undoctor, I, I un, undiagnose, unmedicate and undoctrinate people. Man, and that was giving people their lives back. There was some real value in that. And wow. then I began to really step away from psychiatry altogether and just started being a life coach the way that I knew I could be because I'm really just been hanging on to communication and connection at the heart of all healing. Shortly after that, I, you know, m many things started to fall off out of the sky. For instance, I became a podcaster and um, I've taught a number of people how to get to their own true voice. Uh, I have my book, you know, Find Your True Voice and uh, Find Your True Voice is a, a book that you can find it at findyourtruevoicebook.com and I'll send you a free copy. Or um, I also taught people through my courses a course called the True Voice Course that taught people to go how to go to, from zero to really uh, full scale podcasting. So I began to write books. Um, I wrote the Creative Eight: uh, Healing Through uh, Creativity and Self-Expression because I think those are proper sources to heal. And I began again to um, really be somebody who was a stand for communication and connection at the heart of all healing. And that's why I'm now, um, you know, there it's, it's very important that people realize that um, we're not talking about the medicines being evil. You know, um, it's, it's not so much the medicines being evil, you know, it's again, medicines are an inert substance. They're not evil. They're, they're just something. And right. so when, when you go to a doctor, uh, when you go to a barber and ask to get a haircut and they give you a haircut, then you get what you asked for. And if you go thinking there's something wrong with you, then you can learn quickly that they're, that people are ready to call something wrong with you and then give you a medicine or a treatment that actually brings that something wrong forward. You know, I, um, I've said for a long time, it's called a medical practice for a reason. <laughs> like, Right. Because they're practicing. They don't. And I understand that there's education. I understand that there's there's trial and error. I don't want to be on the receiving end of the error. <laughs> like, I, like right. you know what I mean? So um, when when you when because life coaching, which I'm I'm a coach, life coaching is significantly different than writing prescriptions right for sure you, you literally are digging into how a person is ticking what what yeah. makes them tick right? right right so where where when you had this shift you said it was 2017 2018 in that area um, that was just a few years ago right well that's when <laughs> that's when i decided to start building an entrepreneurial program based on, you know, it was called Welcome to Humanity. And Welcome to Humanity is my main, main brand at this point. But between Welcome to Humanity and then True Voice Pro Podcasting, and then the Creative Eight, and um, I have uh, something I'm a little more, even more recently proud of, and that's Healing the Healer. Um, so I'm helping other doctors who now find themselves outside of the range of what they thought they were getting into when they first when they first um um when they first went into the field yeah so uh some people some doctors are laid off or fired or quitting or you know no longer aligned with the philosophy of their agency and there's a lot of doctors who are now finding themselves on the fringes of the field they thought they were getting into in the first place 
for for those people to be healers, they're going to have to heal themselves. And I have a course called the Healing the Healer that I've created uh, that's designed for that. So that's healingthehealer.online is where you can find that one. Somebody type that in the comments for me, if you would. Um, healingthehealer.online. Right. Uh-huh. And, then, so, and then the other course is the truevoicecourse.com because that teaches people how to become podcasters like you and I. And how to really get in, in touch with their authentic self that they've been obscuring over time. And so that they can get really aligned with that. Because when, you know, being aligned and with like you might hear it for me, there is a sense of um, camaraderie that gets built with the fact that I'm coming from my soul when I'm speaking to you. Yeah. And I think you see that and know that. And that's why we can relate to each other. Yep. Yeah. So. When, when you say healing the healer, these, these doctors, are you talking psychiatrists only or? No, 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 healers of all types. Um, okay. So mental health healers and, and other healers as well. Many of the people in that program are regular, you know, doctors who don't have a mental health um, background per se. Yeah. It's really just a matter of learning how to say goodbye to what hasn't worked anyways and say hello to who you really are. And that's, um, you know, that's a lot of what the programs are that I've developed over the last six or eight years. I mean, you've got pediatricians, doctors of all kinds out there writing scripts for Prozac and, and other right. antidepressants. Right. Uh, notice I used air quotes. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so talk about, um, and I normally save this for the end, but we're, I can't believe we're already 41 minutes into this. The, the, I think that, and this is just my opinion, I think that having money, not obsessed with it necessarily, but having money or wealth um, is related to freedom in life. Like they're, they're, they're related because it's very difficult to, to have or go to great places and experience great things if you're broken homeless right sure. so so talk about in in your opinion what stops people from having fi real financial success and having that joy and freedom in in life i think it's a great question and um i think what really stops people is that they end up doing things that they think they should rather than things that are coming from their heart and soul mm. So when you end up doing things that you think you should, whether that be for the boss or for the, uh, um, you know, for the institution or for the um, industry that you're in, you end up relinquishing your soul and purpose. And the only way to real wealth and health is by being consistent with who you really are. So being consistent with who you really are takes something. And in this case, what it takes is um, you know, really being aligned with your core values and your core purpose. And that's where the True Voice course comes in. Um, the True Voice course, you know, is truevoicecourse.com is a course that's designed to really help anyone get in touch with their core values and get in touch with who they really are. This is what I really have come through life learning about. It's what I knew when I was in the playpen back in early days after my birth, back in, in Detroit. And it's what I knew when I was at Fairlawn Center. And it's what I knew when I was in medical school. So one of my greatest contributions is actually the True Voice course. And the True Voice course is a course that's designed to help people just simply come aligned with what it is that matters to them, what it is that they really are a contribution for. Because without being aligned with your true self, even if your bank book tends to swell here and there, that is not real wealth at all being right. inconsistent with yourself um, and having a little bit of money in the bank or even a lot of money in the bank is not what I call a rich and wealthy life. Amen. I agree with that. I yeah. agree, but it does make life easier. It does. <laughs> There's no doubt that having money makes life easier, even if you're unhappy, <laughs> but being unhappy and having money is not the sign of wealth by nope. any stretch of imagination. Totally agree with that. Totally yeah. agree. So, so do you think 
This is a big question. I, I think it's a big question. Do you think that we are all sent here to this planet with a predetermined um, purpose? Yeah, it's a good question. The word predetermined is the word that I would take apart a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> so, <clears throat> do, do I think that somehow on the day I was born, somebody had it written uh, somewhere in a script that I would learn how to be the man I'm being right now as a contribution to the world? I don't know. I don't think that. I do think that um, if you follow what's right and keep doing what's right, and, and we, we generally know what's right, and whether we're going to use our religious upbringing or our community upbringing or our friends, if you live a life that's consistent with your core self, then you get to be a contribution at levels that are otherwise un, unfathomable. You know, um, I don't know what kind of relationships might develop for me and you or for me and any of your listeners as a result of this conversation today, for instance. Right. Um, if people want to reach me, though, it's possible that we'll design something together that makes a real difference in their life either through a coaching relationship or through one of my courses or through the event that we're having in September or whatever that, that really um, moves the world forward. So do I think that each and every one of us has a contribution to make in the world? I think that's obvious that that's true. Whether it's predetermined that I was headed this way and so are you, I think that's a little harder to, to, you know, wrap myself around uh, you know i i think you and i <clears throat> had this discussion in our very first conversation i remember where i was exactly during our first conversation um because i was blown away we were having it and thank you mark victor hansen for introducing us but you know i i um i'm a huge fan of dr joe dispenza and his his work I, I truly believe this is me personally, and I, I want your opinion on this. This is why I'm bringing it up. I truly believe that if we can learn how to change the conversations that we're having with ourselves, they use people used to say, I, I've heard um, if, if you talk to yourself, that's a sign that you're crazy, but everybody talks to themselves, right? right? right. Like, so, so if we can have different conversations with ourselves about ourselves and about the, the paradigm we have of the world, don't you think that that can, can change the trajectory of our lives? Oh, yeah, it most definitely can. You know, I like Joe's work as well. And I think that what we're talking about here is, you know, the whole point is, is if we start thinking that things should be different than they are, that's when we start being able to call ourselves sick. That, you know, uh, we think we should be different than we are. Mm. Um, and then and we start really realizing that we can let down, let down the guard there and the better and more thoroughly that we can accept who we really are yeah. and really, you know, express ourselves openly and honestly, not in all situations, by the way. I mean, it's not like going to the top of the mountain and saying you hate your mother-in-law is a, is a good way to go. Yeah. Um, there are situations where, even silence is an excellent choice in expressing ourselves. But when we can express ourselves and be heard for who we really are, then uh, it does move the needle forward. And we are able to make some gains in the world that otherwise might not be readily available. So we, we know what white coat syndrome is. We know that, that anybody wearing a white coat that diagnoses us with something. It may have been yesterday. It may have been 10 years of, ago, but we've been given a diagnosis. Most people take that as Moses and the, 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 you know, I mean, like he has spoken, so it must be, and this is just my lot in life. How do you, when, when somebody has already been diagnosed, maybe they've been on these, these psych meds for, for years, um, how do you help them have that shift? I yeah. truly believe that if somebody's on 
these medications. This again, my opinion, I'm probably going to get hate messages for this. Um, but I think that they know there's that this just isn't, this isn't natural. Right. No, I think that most people do know that it isn't natural and, uh, you know, there, um, there is some value in being told that there's something wrong with you. You get to kind of relinquish a little bit of responsibility for your life. So I think that what's, what you're asking is, you know, like how do, what, how do we set these people up to go through the change they need to go through if they're going to clean up their lives and become like, I could say, I, you do have a diagnosis, Ken, your diagnosis is Ken Walls. That's your diagnosis, right? You, you have a life that is unique to anyone else. And you see the world dip through different eyes than anyone else. Yeah. They're called your eyes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with your eyes. It's just what how you see the world. Now, if I give you medications that alter the way that you see your eyes through your eyes, now I have altered your actual perception and given you a pathology. I have given you a new way to look at the world, a new set of glasses, if you will. You know, I have my glaring glasses here, but... You know, we have uh, a new set of glasses that that then give you your perspective. Um, what do we do here when I when I'm walking people off medicine or when I'm giving people their life back? We start looking at what would life look like to uh, give up the idea that there might not be something wrong with you. There are many people out there who know at their heart of hearts that there's nothing wrong with them, that the world is screwed up. And the world is screwed up. It's true. And being afraid or being anxious or being depressed or, or being um, nervous or being, um, you know, tired uh, or being confused are potential normal reactions to a very messed up world. Amen. I agree. I think that... Um... We're so quick these days to, to, you know, immediately just write a script, write a script, write a script. It, it's it's going to solve your, 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 your kid being out of control instead of parents taking responsibility for their inability to, 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 um, I don't know, discipline. <laughs> that was something I experienced as a child was discipline. You know, we weren't aware, but anyway, so we could go down a, a deep hole on that. I don't want to do that. But um, one, one last question I have for you that I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on um, a very, very good friend of mine runs the, um, the Ohio suicide prevention hotline. He's actually chairman of the board for the national um, suicide prevention hotline. Um, and, and, you know, during 2020 and, and uh, through all of that, that craziness, um, suicide rates skyrocketed. I mean, skyrocketed and they they couldn't even keep up with the phone calls there. The people, you know, if somebody calls you and says, I'm, I'm at the end of my rope, I don't feel like there's any point in going on. How do you bring that? Because I know I've been there and that in thought, at least, you know, like, what's the point? Um, how do you bring that person back to yeah. just hang on? It's, well, it's going to be OK. Well, it's it's interesting. I, it's not clear that it's going to be OK. You don't want to give them a lie. Right. It might not be OK. Um, the, the point is, is that you are going to die anyways. Uh, that's true. And. What people want more than anything, Ken, we've talked about it a couple of times already, is simply to be heard. Yep. That's it. If you can just listen to, oh, my God, I get it. I get it that this is where you are with your world. Even in the act of hearing someone, right. even in the act of resonating with someone, of actually listening and connecting with somebody, you can make a difference in their lives at a very, very, very deep level. And the suicide uh, rates, it seems it's hard. We don't get to often interview the actual um, victims of suicide because <laughs> they're gone. So we don't really get to hear what, what went into those final stretches. But one thing is fairly certain is that when people feel heard, all they really have to do is feel heard. They don't have to be agreed with. 
They don't have to be, um, you know, their, their level of connection is what can sometimes cause a massive turnaround. And that's what's really important is it listening and then absolutely just acknowledging the pain or the despair that their person is speaking toward. Wow. That's powerful. People want to be heard. Yeah. And they're not. They're not. No, we're no longer listening to people. And in the censor world, the cancel, cancer, you know, cancel world, um, we start thinking that if people say things different than what we want, that they don't, ha- they shouldn't even have a place. And I find that to be remarkably dangerous in this present day and age. Yeah. Well, there's some great comments. Um, Josie saying a guy in her hometown found his son ended his life over school bullying and he blames himself. The guy blames himself. I can't even imagine. I have two daughters and I, I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't even. Well, you know, to say to Josie, uh, well, all we have on uh, Josie is for you to be a listener, you know, to really hear what this father has to say. And he will love you for that. And you will heal along with him by being able to absorb and, and listen to all the pieces of it, including the uh, unspeakable or intolerable aspects. So the best way to be here for your friend there is uh, to listen, you know, listen carefully to what the dad's experience is. What's next for you, Dr. Fred? I have a couple things. I have the courses that I've talked about. The Healing the Healer dot online uh, is a very cool course meant for healers. I'm really, really digging into that. And then uh, uh, TrueVoiceCourse.com um, is a great place that I'm helping people um, get their truest voice out in the real world. We have an event in September as well. Um, the event is about influence to income, and it's um, PodcastProfitWorkshop.com. Um, and I'm working with two men and we're really putting together a really cool program on helping people get everything they would need to take themselves, not only to a podcaster, but to a scalable, marketable podcaster. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, for me, uh, the, the next space for me is just making myself available. You know, I've had an event here, um, not so long ago, a couple of weeks ago that was, a real shot to my own physical nature and <clears throat> seeing that this is another gift. You know, I had a um, little bit of a cardiovascular event and, uh, you know, really took me out for a little while. And the idea now is to step into my bigness and my greatness and to help people see that maybe the shot that I took is a shot that was taken for the community. Um, maybe we're all heartbreaking. And uh, maybe it's really time to just get in touch with that and be with ourselves. So, amen. Yeah, amen. I I hear you. Is is there a place? Um, I know we have findyourtruevoicebook.com up on the bottom of the screen. That's where you can go um, get a free copy of the book. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have the website open in another tab. Is there any place, any other website where people can like that has all your yeah. stuff in one place? I, the best place for that these days is my link tree. Um, so my link tree is L I N K T R dot E E. That's L I N K T R dot E E forward slash Fred Moss. And you can see everything I'm up to right there. I'm going to, is that it right there? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's where they can follow you on social media. You're pretty active on social. Pretty Pretty active on some of the sites. I like LinkedIn and I tolerate Facebook and occasionally show up on, on Instagram. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I, um, and then some of the projects that we're up to with respect to, um, podcasting, um, you know, that's, that's what we really need. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I teach it too. I have a course on it as well and it's huge. People need to learn how to use their voice and, and, and do what you and I do. 
Yeah, I'd be glad to work with you if there's an opportunity for that. We might yeah. be able to make some real difference. Yeah, definitely. Well, Dr. Fred, I am very, very grateful um, that your event, your cardiac event, um, has has you still here with us. And I'm so grateful that, that you um, came on and shared your wisdom. Josie says it right here. We need more doctors like yeah. you. Yeah. Totally agree with that. I 100% agree with that. Thank you. Um, I, I think that um, your message, it needs to resonate with everybody. Yeah. It's not so simple to get our voices out there, but with shows like this and friends like you and, yeah. you know, people like Josie, who, who I feel free to share this as far as you, wide as you want, Josie. Um, this is the best way to make sure that the good, you know, the good guys also get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so thank you. And I'm going to end the live stream. If you will stay with me though, I promise I'm not leaving you, but I am going to end the live stream and, and put us both backstage here for a second. So thank you all very, very much. Please make sure that you share this out. Go to Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. We're on Twitter. We're everywhere right now. Go find it and share this out. Absolutely amazing interview. Dr. Fred, thank you so much. You thank are you. the man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Appreciate you. Be you guys have a great day. Make sure you go follow Dr. Fred everywhere. Check out his link tree. Check out everything. Follow him everywhere. Have a great day. See you guys later. Thank you.